Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Bruce Gordon is professor of history at Yale University, mostly ecclesiastic history. Uh, he is the author of many things, including Calvin, the Swiss Reformation, and just recently, God's Armed Prophet. Prophet Zwingli, our topic today. Welcome, Professor Gordon. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Now, you open with a blunt statement. When Huldrich, oh, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing these right, please, please correct me. Uh, when Huldrich Zwingli died in 1531, he vanished. Uh, what happened right after his death at age, at age, he's 46 or, or 47? Yeah, 47, I think, yes. Uh, well, he did, he, he literally vanishes. He's uh, caught in this sort of nocturnal uh, raid. It's, uh, it's an ambush. He is a uh, Protestant preacher, but he's dressed as in, in armor, so he looks like a soldier, like everyone else. No one knows exactly uh, what happened, whether he was in battle himself or simply caught in the battle, but he's, he's killed. There's very dramatic stories about how he says at the last moment that, you know, you can, you can kill the body, but you can never kill the soul. The, the soul. This is just, there's a kind of martyrology story to him mm -hmm. um, that he dies this noble death. But, but what, what, what does seem to be the case is that once he's, he's dead, um, the Catholic victors in the in the battle uh, take his find his body, uh, dismember him, uh, and burn uh, burn the body. And there is some stories of whether they actually uh, mixed it with with uh, pig's blood. There's one story that he did this and and to sort of a kind of ritual desecration, which they they did following submitting his corpse to a uh, a kind of ritual heresy trial. So that he's found guilty of being a heretic and then given the appropriate punishment, which of course is being burnt. His ashes then are, are, are tossed to the wind. So in that sense, he vanishes. There's no body, unlike Luther or Calvin, other great reformers who die in their beds and are given uh, funerals for Zwingli. There was nothing. And so was the um, disastrous state of affairs in the city of Zurich, where he was, that there was such tumult. Uh, there was never any funeral for him. There was never any memorial for him. He simply went from being the primary reformer, this major European reforming figure, to to disappearing off the stage and um, was gone. Your book uh, traces his life, but part of the plot of the story is precisely why a lot of people got very angry at him yeah. <laughs> during during his life, and that. He yeah. he did he did provoke strong did. strong reactions to him. So let, let, let's go let's go back to the beginning. 
tell us about his birth and childhood. The, the, there's a great picture of, of the actual house that he, yes. that he was born and raised in. I can't believe that it's still there. It's still there. It's amazing, and it's it's and it's very much as it was when you go into it now. They've they've preserved it uh, beautifully, but it's a sturdy um, alpine farmhouse. Uh, it's now in the middle of a town. It's quite hard to get a picture of it so that you don't get a modern building uh, in it. But it's it's still where in its original location. He grew up in in an alpine valley. His uh, his parents and his family had long been there. They were of peasant stock, although his his parents were relatively well off. His father was the equivalent of a sort of local mayor. Um, so he was born. He, unlike Luther, he had a, a very happy childhood. He was seen as a prodigious child. He was given education. He was sent off to school by uh, with various uncles and then was sent off to uh, study at schools in distant cities of of Bern and Basel in Switzerland so he he has great fortune and he remembers all his life this being in this house with his family sharing sharing beds with all his brothers and sisters he remembers it as a very godly upbringing he remembers all his life that this sort of conception of God he has, which comes from very much an alpine mountain peasant background, the, the sort of enormous, uh, the enormity of the mountains, the, dr- the dramatic sense of God's presence in the valleys and the hills. And, and so he, he is a great lover of nature and he continually evokes this alpine childhood as a sense of, you know, of the divine, of, of the heavenly, of what, what could be if the world was reformed. Again, so he has a very, very optimistic sense of the of the world, which comes out of this uh, childhood. But he's he's fortunate, um, unlike you know, although he always talks about himself as being a peasant, he was actually very fortunate to get an extremely good education from a young age. Uh, you you note that I, I guess what happens with with kids like this is they simply show those who showed remarkable aptitude when they're learning their letters or whatever they they are. Uh, if, if you've got the parents, the right parents, they're single out and you send them off to, to study at, at a young age. Uh, yeah. Again, early teens, he, he might leave you, you and, and you'd really send him off to a mentor. What kind of, of education did he receive? Uh, because this was, this was a place where, where a lot of humanists were yes. able to yes. function. Ab- absolutely. And this is where he has uh, enormous a good fortune. Um, he has uh, connections through the church. He has an uncle who is a priest who sends him on to a school teacher. Uh, he ends up in, in, as I say, in the in the Swiss cities of Basel, which was a university. It's the city where later the great humanist Erasmus will be, who is incredibly important in Zwingli's story. He goes off to the Swiss city of Bern, where he he is educated by a man who is also a humanist, a great uh, writer and musician. And and Zwingli demonstrates from an early age that he's quite a musical talent. So he gets educated in music. He gets en- educated naturally in Latin. He gets educated in the sort of tr- uh, traditional uh, medieval curriculum of, of of the arts with mathematics and logic and grammar, and so he he gets a very thorough uh, education, which is going to be a kind of hallmark of of his life. Is this in- enormous uh, emphasis on the role of education as a way of transforming not only the self but the world around you, 
And Switzerland at this time, I talked about Basel primarily, which is a cosmopolitan city with a university, which has a distinguished circle of humanist uh, writers and printers and book collectors. And, and he goes to this city as a small child and is exposed to this world. Um, and he falls in love with it. He falls in love with, with learning. And that will be a lifelong uh, uh, passion. And he, he uh, from a, uh, when he becomes a priest, he immediately uh, works as a teacher. So he, all his life, he's mentoring other students because he believes that the way that they will be transformed and that the church will be reformed and that society will be reformed is through education. And I, while reading through those pages, I don't recall you noting any any points or actually, or, or after that, at which Zwingli expresses uh, mistrust of the, the, the pagan elements of, of the no. ancients. It just wasn't a, wasn't, a, wasn't a problem for him. No, 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 no. And this is, of course, when he, he meets Erasmus, Erasmus, who, you know, has this, uh, you know, belief that the, 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 the wisdom of antiquity uh, flows into uh, you know the, the Christian life and to the reform of, of Christianity. It's not it's not an either or, but in fact the the divine wisdom, God's wisdom, is expressed through the ancients and fulfilled in Christianity. And and this is an idea that uh, uh, the young Zwingli gets through various people. But you know Erasmus will be his enormous inspiration for this when he becomes a. Uh, a young priest, and Erasmus is in Basel, and Zwingli's great hope is that he will be able to meet this man whose works he's, we know he's devouring from a, a young age. And yes, the, the classical world, I mean, Zwingli read deeply all his life, right till the end of his life. He um, continued to read Pindar and the Greek uh, uh, playwrights uh, and poets, Herodotus, uh, Livy, all of these figures he, he read uh, endlessly because he believed that uh, uh, an educated person must be, you know, drink deeply from the well of classical antiquity as, as a way of preparing for uh, the, Christian, the Christian life. He designs a, a school um, when he, he becomes in Zurich, when he's, he's there, he, he redesigns the curriculum of the school. And so that, and of course, it's mostly for boys, but they begin training with learning Latin and Greek and, and classical sources as a, as a preparation for the study of the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the strengths of the book, I think, is the way in which you're able to bring together um, Zwingli's personal story, these specific events yeah. of his life, and the broader history of, of Switzerland uh, at this yeah. time, the political history, and, and including the military history as yeah. well. Let me ask just generally, what was the Swiss Confederation? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I, you, you could talk for three hours about that. I know, I know. Yes, <laughs> I, and, and, and I, I promise I won't. I'll make this very, very brief. Uh, we think of Switzerland today as being a country. If we think about the time in Zwingli, the Middle Ages, going into the 16th century, it wasn't a country. It was loosely a collection of states with one another, thinking of my better thought of as a sort of system of alliances. They were, there was no centralized government. Uh, there, were, there were traditions that held them together. There was language and culture that held them together, but they were, they were in a kind of formal agreement but they were relatively loosely connected. So it's, 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 it's 
not it's not like a nation. So swing, so where you you came from was your sort of primary identity. And one of the things that happens during swing time is they become begin to become more aware of themselves as Swiss, as Swiss actually being something rather than just from Zurich or Zug or 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 Schweiz or any of these other individual parts. There is a growing sense of an identity, but you're, it's still very local, and that's important in the Zwingli story because he's he comes from the eastern part of Switzerland, and he comes to Zurich, and he becomes identified with Zurich, but Zurich is, as a city has its own history within this confederation of, of alliances, which is deeply problematic. So there's, there's a lot of tension between these different, different states running back over hundreds of years, and the Reformation will play out in that sort of complex uh, political uh, political situation. So that, that so that but what had made the Swiss prominent um, in the in this period that we're talking about is that they provided large numbers of mercenary soldiers to the Pope, to the King of France, to the uh, to the Emperor of the, of the Holy Roman Empire. So they were they they because unlike what we might have think of Switzerland now as a very wealthy country in those terms it was a very poor country with mountains and valleys and people living on subsistence farming. So many young men uh, signed up as soldiers in return for pay, and many political figures received a lot of money for providing these soldiers. And this system uh, was basically the economic system of the country. So selling mercenary soldiers, Machiavelli was, of course, one of the people who who spoke most highly of of the Swiss as the professional soldiers. They were the very best. Hmm. And so that's that's that was kind of the lifeblood lifeblood of of the economy. And Zwingli himself has uh, a mixed view of the militarism, correct? I mean, he yeah. he he sometimes he approves of war. He admires yeah. soldiers. On the other hand, he fears certain corrupting effects. What what was going on yeah. there? Yeah, this is this I think is is is. The big question about his life, because as a young priest, he's priest in a place called Glarus, which is a mountainous area in eastern Switzerland in a in a valley. And it's precisely the sort of place where young men are signing up to go off to foreign wars in Italy, above all. And while he's in Glarus as a young priest, he goes with the soldiers to Italy uh, to and he's present at one of the great and you know, great in the sense of most significant battles, the Battle of Marignano. A victory of the French, in which the Swiss are, are are soldiers on both sides of the battle, and it's a tremendous slaughter. And this is a traumatic moment for the young uh, Zwingli. He thinks that this mercenary system is is he calls it you know the equivalent of of prostitution. The Swiss are just selling themselves for other people, and they're prostituting themselves in return for money, and that this the money that's flowing into uh, Switzerland through this these mercenary system is just causing corruption. It's destroying the fabric of, of of the people. It's destroying the church and the faith. And so he comes to see mercenaries as the embodiment of all that's wrong with the world, because of course the church is very closely connected with all of this. So he sees this as the great evil. But as you say, <laughs> the the complicating part in his life is that he ends up advocating a form of militarism because he believes that if you don't have that sort of force to break through the resistance of those who will not accept the Reformation, it will never happen. So it's it's the the big you know this is why I, I named the book God's Armed Prophet is is 
a play on Machiavelli's words about Savonarola, you know, Zwingli was saw himself as a prophet, but he believed that um, that force was was necessary, and and so that both shaped his convictions of why he became a prophet, but also shaped the way in which he acted once he he did become one. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You, you have an interesting phrase here where you say that he had a great, quote, nostalgia for the age of heroes. Yes. Was there, was there, was there yes. a feeling of lost valor in Switzerland yes. that he, he wanted to yes. restore? There was, there was. He, you know, I, I spoke about it at the beginning. He came from this mountain region. He was, he was a peasant. He had this idealized life of the virtuous Swiss uh, mountainous people who live in nature, who, uh, you know, in their mountain regions that live in the face of God. They were it was an age of virtue. They resisted foreign tyrant, you know, tyrants right back to the days of of the Romans. So he he's very much. Um, taken with a kind of mythology of the virtuous Swiss peasants, and he sees that as his lineage. Um, but he's and he talks about this. He, he speaks about this 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 age of our forefathers as a, as a great time. But then he says these things like the mercenary service and and all the rest. That corruption has destroyed that golden age. And what he sees uh, Reformation as being is in a chance to return to the past return to what was a better age, a better time. Um, the difference being that, uh, that now we have the Word of God, and that's what's going to make this new age, become, you know, we can return to it, we can, re- we can cast off the corruption and become the valorous uh, forefathers that, that came before us. Uh, another complication here is that during these, these earlier years, uh, you say he had quite an active sex life. <laughs> I was okay. Yeah, he huh? did. Yeah. yeah, he didn't even t- attempt to cover that up. He he was very he was very open about it. And he got married. Yeah, he's the first uh, reformer to marry. He he marries twice in a way. He marries a woman who had been who was a widow who lived next door to him while he was a priest in Zurich. This is around. 15, 18, 15, 19, just after he's arrived, and uh, he, he catches the plague, the plague very common at the time, and he looks like he's dying, and she nurses him, and uh, he survives. He writes a song about it, a sort of, sort of near-death experience, um, but he, he becomes, uh, he clearly falls in love with this woman, and um, they seek, they marry secretly, uh, although how much of a secret is, is not clear, but he, he marries, they, they marry secretly and live together, but not in open marriage. And by the, then a couple of years later, they, they publish, as, as the Reformation is becoming established, 
they publicly marry, but at that point she's expecting uh, a child. Uh, he's, he's very open about the fact that when he was a priest, he was not celibate. Um, and in fact, the stories don't reflect particularly well on him at all. There are accusations that he that he um, uh, was very promiscuous. Uh, he, he he doesn't he sort of provides these in letters uh, explanations that are, you know the logic of which can be somewhat uh, confusing. But he 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 says that you know I only slept with certain types of women and not with others. And he says at one point I never deflowered a a virgin. You know so, so there's it's 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 a story in which. Um, and in fact, you know, we, we we know that he probably fathered a child who lived in the city when he arrived there uh, as a priest. So it's, he may have had children in the in the city um, who were not part of his 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 family. Um, he, and he writes he, he he's very passionate about uh, uh, taking on the subject of clerical celibacy. And he says quite openly, I was not able to do it, and most people that I know are not able to do it. It, it is it places an un, um, unbearable burden on 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 the priesthood. So he's very much writing from personal experience. And the the situation at the time was while there may be particular cases. Uh, that could be scandalous. Generally speaking, there was sort of a, 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 a what a laxity on the part of public opinion about yes, priests. I, yes, I, I think I think it's much more easy for us to be scandalized than than his contemporaries were. Um, it was not at all uncommon in this period for priests to live in uh, semi uh, domestic arrangements with uh, women and and children uh you could have your your child a priest could have his child baptized in return uh, for a, a payment called a cradle tax um uh, many of the protestant reformers actually came from clerical families heinrich bullinger who was Zwingli's successor in in um in zurich uh, was the son of a priest um uh you know the the notion of celibacy was was pretty elastic in this culture. So that uh, what what made Zwingli particularly notorious was that he was seen as having been uh, the fact that he had been promiscuous rather than the fact that he'd actually been uh, with another person. Yeah, you use a term to describe his preaching when he started in Zurich. You call it electrifying, and one of the things yeah. that was so dramatic about it was that he departed from the assigned uh, readings, topics, and yeah. started just telling the gospel story. Was he a great yeah. charismatic speaker? Yeah, interestingly, the, the reports are that he didn't have a particularly strong voice, um, and, but, but that he was an artist. He was a great musician, one of the probably the best musicians of of the of the sort of prominent figures of the 16th century in terms of of religious leaders. Uh, he was a poet. He he uh, not only read the classics, but he even after the Reformation, he performed Greek plays in the city and he wrote the music for. He, uh, his his uh, he, he is what we might call now a liturgist. He wrote liturgy worship for for uh, services. He had a he had an enhanced 
sense of the dramatic. He knew how to stage things. He, he knew, he, I believe he was, you know, I think I call him this, he was a performer. He, could, he performed his role as a prophet very effectively. He could use language extremely effectively. He's a brilliant writer. Uh, it's a great pleasure to, to, to read him. He, it's the clarity and the elegance, but also the vivacity of, the, of imagery that he uses, not least the, the from nature that I spoke about before. He's a, he's a performer, and that was clearly a major part of his success. He was this highly charismatic preacher, and he could, uh, he could bring out in people very strong responses to his calls for ending the mercenary service, ending the sort of sources of corruption, care for the poor, reforming society. But these are the themes that he talked about. He talked about building a more just society. And as you say, he, he, his approach to the Bible was not using the lectionary. They're you know, not just assigned readings, but he would begin at the beginning of a biblical book and preach the whole way through it. So you, he famously does this as he starts in, in January 1519. He starts at the opening of the Gospel of Matthew and preaches the whole way through it. He does it to the book of Genesis. So he's giving the whole divine narrative of the book, not just the highlights of it. And that's what he, that's what he saw preaching as being, bringing the word of God into the community. He was just extremely good at it. And one of the doctrinal uh, turns that he makes is he downplays talk, some of the medieval elements such as talk of the saints and of yeah. of Mary, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly, because he had been a priest at a at a at a monastery in Switzerland called Einsiedel, which was a center of of Marian devotion. He he had a very strong attachment to Mary, uh, but he, his 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 conviction was. Uh, which he shared somewhat with with Luther, uh, was that uh, intercession of the saints or Mary as intercessor uh, was took away from or um, from Christ alone as the mediator between God and humanity. So it, any any kind of attribution to the saints was a diminution of the figure of Christ, whose only you know once and only uh, sacrifice was sufficient. Uh, therefore, there was no need for for anything, any other form of 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 um, uh, sort of intercession. Uh, so he has a strong sense of of trying to. Uh, it's 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 not so much that he's attacking the sort of medieval um, culture, but he's rather he's emphasize, he wants to emphasize the absolute centrality of Christ. That's at the heart of of his pre preaching. That and it's an idea that he gets in part from Erasmus. This emphasis on the centrality of Christ. That's that's key to Zwingli's message. One of the uh, plot turns in the yeah. story is uh, as Zwingli goes from a great defender of the papacy to an open yeah. opponent to the papacy. Yeah. What were the yeah. what were the single single factors in his turn? Uh, he, he, um, yeah, as a, as a young priest, he is, you know, and Switzerland, uh, that we were talking about before is very much divided between people who were loyal to the papacy and people who were loyal to the French king. And the two were opposite sides at this point. And so Zwingli was, uh, loyal as a, as a young priest to the papacy. 
He received a pension from the papacy in return for his support. He has this up until he comes to to Zurich. Uh, so he is a, a and he's seen by the papacy when he goes to Zurich as this loyal supporter, someone they can rely on. It it's not like Luther who who comes to this vision of the papacy as being antichrist and has this sort of apocalyptic view of 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 the papacy. Zwingli is doesn't really ever go down that that path. For him, uh, it, it's more that he sees the the, the distinction twofold. One is that he he comes to reject the the papal involvement in Swiss politics, the the recruitment of mercenary soldiers that I spoke about before. He starts to see this as an extremely venal activity, whereby the papacy is taking young men from the Swiss lands and using them in religious wars. He, he, the injustice of that is one thing that inflames him. But other, as he's having this uh, transition towards what we could call evangelical ideas, evangelical in the sense of gospel-centered ideas, which is where his his religious sensibilities are moving towards faith alone, scripture alone, those key ideas, he starts to see that the papacy is not going to adopt these, these sort of scriptural reforms. He, at the beginning, he has certain hopes that they will, but he comes to see that uh, the response of the authorities as such is that they're not going to reform the church. And he loses, he loses faith in um, what he sees as the Roman church as a source of, of reform. And, in, and as it closes the door on him, he too sees that uh, it, a break is inevitable. But it's, it's, it's different from the Luther story in that yeah. respect. But by the mid-1520s, uh, he knows that if he travels to certain places, he may be killed. Yeah. Yes. 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 He does. He's uh, uh, there is enormous um, hostility to what's happening in Zurich in these years from 1521, 22, and then particularly 1523, which is really the moment when the the, Zur the Zurich Church seems to be starting to cast off. Uh, traditional Catholic practices and beliefs and separating itself from the authority of its bishop. There is a huge uh, uh, antagonism within the Swiss Confederation towards this, this uh, city, but also stretching uh, abroad because it's starting to seem like he's doing in Switzerland what Luther has been doing in Germany. And that uh, that and Zwingli is the public face of this. He's seen as responsible for what's happening here. He is the primary heretic. He's burnt in effigy. His books are burnt. It's made very clear that he is a heretic, and that if he once he moves beyond the protection of his city, he's he's very much uh, uh, it's open season on him. <laughs> there is much much more uh, to talk about in the book. Uh, you include his uh, discussions of his treatises, such as the 1525 commentary on true and false yeah. religion. You discuss the sort of non-relationship uh, with, with Luther, uh, whom you say yeah. really doesn't, doesn't exercise much singular influence uh, on Zwingli. His turn toward uh, a war as a, a necessary step um, I'm, I'm going through some of the things here. The, the debate over whether is he a martyr or was he a blasphemer. Positions on the sacraments of baptism, baptism and, and the Lord's 
Supper, uh, and I, I would tell our readers that it's a very good read. I read it. You have a lot of footnotes, Professor Gordon, but it, it's it's really a it was a, it was a pleasure to read your prose. Uh, and so I'll I'll, I'll, I'll tell uh, I'll I'll just say the book is God's Armed Prophet Zwingli. Professor Gordon, yeah. thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.